brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello and welcome to this week's Razor podcast. I'm Emma Keeling. And I'm Frankie McCamley. Today on the podcast, we look at how zebrafish could help us personalise cancer treatment. We can put human tumour cells in our fish, in the larvae, and we can see that the, the zebrafish cells can be recruited and can be summoned to the tumour by these molecules. Now, listeners, just so you know, I may have mentioned that my cat is called Frankie. Now, she is not named after human Frankie. However, if I had met the human version before we got our kitten, I would have totally named her Frankie anyway, because human Frankie is a powerhouse Juno with excellent diction, and she is one of Razor Show's newest recruits. Welcome. Thank you very much. I feel like I should say meow or something. Cancer is a word we all fear. It's often described as not one disease, but many, because every tumour has a different set of mutations, which makes it harder for doctors to determine what the best treatment will be. However, a group of scientists in Portugal have come up with an interesting idea of how to fix it. They've been implanting cancer cells into zebrafish larvae to see which sorts of treatment would work best in patients. Here's Dr. Rita Fior. She's the driving force behind this project. So we are using larvae from the zebrafish. So that means we can use much less cells and have a lot of numbers. And and also we can look in the microscope to single cells because we are reducing the scale and therefore we can look at the impact of the therapy in the cells. Whereas in the mouse it's a very big animal. It takes a lot of time to grow amount of tissue that you can actually see it and then analyze it so it takes time. Mm. But it's not that in zebrafish things work uh, much faster, it's just that you can reduce the scale and therefore you can look and see what's happening to the cells. So how many genes do we share with the with the fish? Obviously enough that, that it can make a difference. Exactly. So it is uh, what is uh, described is 70% of conservation. This means that 70% of our genes are the same as the fish and so we are only 30% different. And what about the, the disease genes? Are that they Yes, they, they, these are almost probably 90% the same. So the basic genes that are involved in development and, and in cancer. So that's why we can study also development and behavior and regeneration and so on because all the genes are really well conserved. For instance, we can look, we can put human tumor cells in our fish, in the larvae, and we can see that the, the zebrafish cells can be recruited and can be summoned to the tumor by these molecules. So there is a communication between human molecules and zebrafish molecules. So zebrafish, how did Dr. Rita and her team come up with that idea? It seems so far away from humans. It does. But as, as Rita was just saying there, you know, we share 70% of the same genes with these fish and 90% of the same disease genes. And the zebrafish larvae, they, they don't go sort of, Ugh, what's this foreign cell in my body? They treat it like one of their own. And they're also see-through. So that's easy to see what's happening to the cancer cells. That has to be the larvae, though. The fish are obviously got the nice little stripes. But yeah, these larvae are, are, are transparent. So they can see what's happening to the cancer cells, which has to be done under a microscope because these little guys 
they're like a little spot of dirt. So they put the cancer cell in, they treat it with different chemotherapies and or other cancer therapies, and they see which one works best. And how have the patients been responding to it? Well, good question, because Rita and the team are not yet at the point that they can actually test their research in a patient. They would love to be there, but they're not. Um, But I did speak to Dr. Nuno Figueredo. He's a surgeon, and his patients have been sharing their tumour cells to be used in the zebrafish larvae. With With the work of Rita and her associates, what happens is this. We're trying to get some answers before we can really start the therapy and see if these patients from colorectal cancer can really depend on these treatments that we are starting to begin uh, or if we can choose different better therapies for them meaning that for those patients who don't benefit from radiation we can exclude them from doing that therapy and all the side effects and on the same time the patients who are really really sensitive to radiation we can enhance this radiation and try to avoid surgery by giving them all the radiotherapy and the chemotherapy they need and with some special um, exams we can try to define if there is still tumor there or if we can avoid surgery because the patient has what is called a clinical complete response. I mean, you've had some patients of yours yeah. that have been, have been working yes. alongside the zebrafish, I guess we could yeah, say. Several, several <laughs> yeah, several. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do the patients react to, you know? Well, they understand on? it's still experimental and it's really in its early phases, so we can't really uh, depend on this zebrafish avatars to define the therapy. But they are really, really interested on the results, and most of them, they want to learn what is the result of their tumor in the zebrafish. Of course, they understand that they they cannot refuse so far or even um, accept different treatments just because of these results, because they are still early phase results, but they are very, very excited and they ask and they want to know from the bench side what is the results on their own tests and on their own tumors. So it's really, really a very interesting uh, connection between the patients, the surgical or even the multidisciplinary team and the fundamental researchers who are doing this. It's really and it's, it's quite a while since you've done the story now. Do you have any follow-ups? How has the treatment been going, especially with the big interruption of coronavirus? Yeah, well, pretty much any scientist you talk to at the moment who isn't a COVID scientist has had delays. So, yeah, no surprises that um, Dr. Rita and the team have been the same. Uh, and also a couple of the team had babies. <laughs> so that was also a wow. bit of a delay. They're, they're all back now. You know what babies are like. God, they take up so much time. Like, like that. <laughs> um, But they they're all back know. now. Um, and they're still waiting on this human study. Now, they've published a lot long days at home, so they've been catching up on all the paperwork. And publishing is important to build that confidence um, in the medical community about what they're trying to achieve here. So um, they hadn't tested many people's cells when we filmed with them, but they've done a lot more, and the numbers are still fantastic. It's still 83% success rate in predicting the response of chemotherapy drugs in colorectal cancer. And, And it's still good for breast cancer as well, up in the 90s. For that. So now they're testing new cancers, ovarian and pancreatic, and those numbers, she said, are also looking promising. That's such good news because cancer has really hit everyone, and she had a personal connection to cancer, didn't she? Yeah, well, the, the whole reason she started this was because her mum got cancer, and she was very shocked when, when they were sort of looking at the different treatment because it's a, it's a 
guessing game. It's a calculated guessing game. You know, they look at all the stats and the and the data on on patients who say have breast cancer. And it's like, okay, if you've got this type of breast cancer, which is the is the treatment that has sort of worked the best in the majority of the patients? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same in your body. And, you know, there's no test to say, oh, Emma, you are going to react better to this than this. So, you know, they just look at the, the figures, um, which is a little bit scary, really, when you think about it. It's, but again, it's a calculated mm. guess. But also that the, the breakthroughs with the zebrafish and the zebrafish larvae had been done before, um, but then the research fell away. So she picked it back up again. She took a different approach, and then she had to convince the bigwigs in science who had dismissed the earlier research that this could work. And she sort of basically chased them down. And she said, look, this is my research. I've done this now. Have a look at it. And got them to give their sort of, you know, peer review stamp of approval. So important when it comes to science, because you need that kind of backing to get the funding and all that sort of carry on. And you need to keep producing the papers and the results so that, you know, people can see the progress. So you've got to be a bit pushy um, to get yourself in there. And um, so that's what Dr. Fia has been doing. She's just been trying to push, push it through. It's not her personality, but if she doesn't make these connections with the right people to get the work out there to sort of show what they're doing, make new connections with surgeons, um, then it's just going to slow the whole thing down. And just watching that video, Dr. Fjord, she is this force to be reckoned with, isn't she? She really believed in what she was doing. Who are the big wigs that she had to convince? Well, it's just the you know, respect to people in this area of, of science. I mean, she's not going to give me any names and dob them all in. Uh, she <laughs> needs their support. But this is it. You know, mm. she you need to get peer reviewed by people who are well respected. And then when you so often now, I think we're, we're hearing more of this with with COVID, um, you know, treatments and things like that. They'll often say in an article, this is looking very positive, but this research hasn't been peer reviewed. And that's so very important because, you know, when you get your peers to look at your work, they can poke holes in and say, well, hang on, this doesn't add up. You haven't done this. You need to go away and look at this. You need to go away and look at this. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's just sort of getting these people on board to to take the time to, to look at your work. And she's got to do the work to make sure that she's got the results to, to get them interested. Um, I mean, you could, you know, you could possibly say, oh, is it because she's a, a woman? Well, look, I don't think female scientists have, have had it particularly easy over the years. And, you know, she's another one who, a female scientist who's had children that delays the career. But I, you know, I don't know that you could point your finger at, at that particular thing. But I think it's just, you know, it's just very hard to get um, your work in front of the right people. Hmm. Well, I think if anyone's going to do it, it will be her. She, she really, really does believe in what she's doing, um, which is great. Um, what else can zebrafish be used for? Oh, this was a journey of discovery for me. So I just, <laughs> I just thought, oh yeah, just it's just this on this particular situation, zebrafish. No, 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 they are used in almost every area of medical research. So, you know, apart from um, sharing genes with us, um, they, but they also share an immune system. They share a lot of the same organs. They're really ideal for genetic studies, which have led to advances in cancer, heart disease and, and regeneration studies. That is much further than anyone would think when you look at a little zebrafish. No, they're tiny, aren't they? <laughs> so when you see a zebrafish, you know, maybe stop by, have a chat, say, look, thanks, guys, for all you're doing. Really appreciate your work. Yeah, because most people associate a lot of these studies with mice. Yeah, yeah, they do. And and that was, you know, one of the questions I asked. I said, oh, hang on, why aren't we using mice here? And she said, well, you know, actually, mice, they're mammalians, so yeah, they would be the better um, animal to use in this. But that research can take 
months and months and months. And so what she's been able to do with, with larvae, you can get those results so much faster. So, you know, within four days of putting the cell inside a, um, a larvae, you can tell in four days whether that's been affected by the treatment and if it's working. And, you know, for, for a, a mouse that takes months, the full analysis of, of the um, larvae can take only two weeks. So two weeks for a, a zebrafish larvae compared to months and months. You know, the mice apparently are still the gold standard when it comes to this sort of stuff. But if you want um, quick results and, you know, as Rita's trying to prove, accurate results, uh, the zebrafish larvae are the way to go. And now it's time for our newest addition to the podcast. Well, that's Frankie. But also another new addition to the podcast is our little segment called What's Exciting in Science This Week. Frankie, what have you been reading? I have seen a story about coronavirus. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to bring doom and gloom to the show. This is actually a positive one. Uh, we've seen the vaccine rolling out across the UK here, um, across Europe, in places like Germany, Italy, further afield, Canada, the UAE. So hopefully we are soon going to get back to our normal lives. I mean, Emma, can you even remember what they look like? No, it's, I've been sitting in this lounge for a year. I don't know what the world is anymore. <laughs> and we're surrounded by our podcast cushions. I know how exactly how you feel. But there is an extra reason to be cheerful, happy, upbeat, because there are quite a few studies that have found your mood can affect how you respond to vaccines and how it's all linked to how many antibodies you then produce. There's this psychologist, Anna Marsland, at the University of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. She and her colleagues did a study on the disease hepatitis B. It's another virus like coronavirus. And they found people who describe themselves as energetic, cheerful or relaxed, a bit like us, uh, <laughs> produced 73% greater antibody response to the vaccine than those who regarded themselves as more nervous or tense or angry. That study, it was done back in 2006, but there have been quite a few studies since. Another one found, you'll like this, another one found romantic love helped with flu vaccinations. Just, just hear me out on this one. <laughs> I was going to say, there's not, there's not a lot of that lockdown. <laughs> there is. Speak for yourself. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, they, they found romantic love helped. Uh, this team at the University of Birmingham here in the UK found that older people who were highly satisfied in that area and that's how they put it when they say older people is that like over 40 or over 70 <laughs> we're looking at over 70s we're looking at the older end of the population you've got to be really careful how you uh, how you define an older person but i'm going towards those who are withdrawing their pensions retired from work that that's age spectrum mm -hmm. So those who were highly satisfied in that area, take from that what you will, um, had 10% more antibodies. That is pretty impressive, isn't it? 
that 73% that you mentioned before, that was with hepatitis B. Um, I mean, that's huge. And so, but I mean, even 10% when you're you're dealing with something as, as nasty as, as coronavirus, that that's, that's big. It is big, especially, you know, with coronavirus, we've all been locked up. We haven't been able to see people and our moods have gone down. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's been tough. It's been tough for everyone um, all across the world as we go in and out of these lockdowns. We don't know what's happening. Uh, but the studies also also found social interaction helped. Obviously, we're not getting much of that at the moment. Uh, they also found sleep, exercise had an impact too. So I don't think your mood and you know your uh, romantic love really you know changes everything. It's not a one size fits all solution. And scientists are still trying to work out whether a good mood can maintain immunity for a longer amount of time, which will be very interesting. Um, and I don't think this means that if you're feeling a little low and you go and get that vaccination, it doesn't mean that it's not going to work at all whatsoever. But we do often hear about positive thinking and how it helps with recovery from injury or illness. So just with that in mind, if you are going for your coronavirus jab, if you're happy, you've had a good rest, maybe done a little bit of exercise, chatted to someone who makes you smile beforehand, you know what? It might just help. Emma, what have you been reading? What has got you excited this week in science? Well, have you heard of motor neuron disease? Yes. Yes. So for those of you who haven't, it's a really cruel degenerative disease and it affects the brain and the nerves. It causes weakness that gets worse over time. There is no cure for MND, as we're going to call it from now on. And uh, more than half uh, of people die with it with, within two years of diagnosis. So if you follow the game of rugby, and I do, I'm a Kiwi, I, I love mm -hmm. the All Blacks, um, but you'll also know that there have been several high profile cases of top players developing this disease. Now, only 10% of cases are caused by an inherited genetic mutation but a study has showed that players in top level contact sport which rugby is they have eight times more likely uh, the chance to to develop mnd which is um, pretty scary stuff however this week we've heard that scientists are getting closer to being able to reverse the damage so the university of edinburgh experts have found a problem with mnd patients nerve cells so in the body we have mitochondria we talked a bit about this last week and mitochondria are often called the powerhouse of our cells they power motor neurons found in the motor cortex brainstem or the spinal cord and uh, the axon fiber is the long part of the motor neuron cell that connects to muscles now, scientists have discovered that the axon um, was shorter in healthy cells. And uh, the movement of mitochondria, which travel up and down the axons, was um, impaired in, in people with MND. And they showed that this was, a cause, was caused by a defective energy supply from the mitochondria. So if they could boost the mitochondria, this, this powerhouse, the axon reverted back to normal. So work is already underway to identify existing licensed drugs that can boost the mitochondria and, and repair these motor neurons. And this will hopefully then pave the way to test them in the clinical trials. Now, research focused on people with the commonest genetic case of MND, but researchers are hopeful that the results would also apply to other forms of the disease. So very exciting. But of course, now they need to sort of see, you know, positive results in patients. But yeah, isn't that quite incredible? We're hearing more and more and more 
about rugby players and people who are coming forward and talking about it. So that's really interesting that they're putting more and more um, effort into these studies. Yeah, I don't know whether this will have any effect or, or help the you know the research into dementia, which again has been linked to you know um, football players and, and rugby players mm. who have taken knocks, you know, all that heading of the ball. Um, so whether that will also apply to, to that, I don't, I don't know. Um, but certainly very exciting for MND because you know how terrifying must it be to have a disease like this if you're a you know big, strong, fit, um, healthy individual, and, and then this disease just sort of you know completely well you sort of wither away really it's 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 awful so degenerative um but yeah if they can if they can find a drug that they believe could have the desired effect then this treatment could actually be fast tracked for human trials because there's a, a pioneering MND smart clinical trial platform it's all been funded and so they could sort of push this through a little quicker so yeah very exciting very exciting yeah and another good note um another good story I know. Well, you know, we like to bring a smile to the face of anybody going in to get the vaccine because we know it might boost your antibodies. So that's it for another edition of Razor. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Also, if you want to see the videos from some of these stories, go to CGTN Europe and type in Razor. And if you go to YouTube and then type in Razor Science Show, you will find us. Until next time. Bye bye. <laughs>